Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Ski Podcast. I am Jim Duncombe and on the other mic is Ian Martin. Hi Ian. Hi Jim, how are you going? Very good, thank you. Um, coming up in today's show, we're obviously going to be talking about skiing, there's going to be yoga in Lehman Weir. Um, ski and snowboarder editor Frank is chatting to Ian. I've been cross-country skiing. We have some final TGB updates. There is our book review and we've got a report from Leders Alp. Don't forget you can follow us on that Twitter at the Ski Podcast, find us on Facebook or email us if you want to get in touch with the show. Um, Ian at the Ski Go.ucom, so com, co.ucom, all those numbers, or Jim at the ski podcast.com. And Ian's Twitter account is at skipedia, or you can stalk me as always on Instagram at the average skier. And before we get going in, let's say thanks to the Chill Factory up in Manchester who have uh, been sponsoring us for the last uh, six or seven months. It's been a great experience. We've had some interesting chats with them uh, and do keep supporting them. And if you want to join us as a sponsor of the show or want to be part of it, um, drop us a line. You got anything to say on that, Ian? Um, not really, other than we kind of uh, do this because we enjoy it and it'd be nice if we could cover our costs as well at the same time. That's it. So if you're a company or even just a private person who wants to slip us a fiver, um, you're more than welcome <laughs> to do that. Um, Ian, I just watched a farmer spread some muck across a snow-covered field. Um, can you beat that for a season highlight? No, although, I mean, that's an insight in itself, isn't it? He's putting the muck on top of the snow. I assume it's just that uh, it was going to do it. Um, it's in his rotor. Mm. The snow hasn't melted yet. And the the muck will melt onto the field. I assume that's yeah. probably the, okay. the science. Um, yeah, mine's probably more I don't know prosaic than that. Um, I mean, I particularly enjoyed my first uh, ski of the season, which was in La Rosière. I think I have no idea what episode that was. Um, but back in uh, December, I went out there and skied that uh, the new Montvalaison area, and um, you know we had a amazing long pitch down through deep powder um and that was brilliant <laughs> so that's probably my highlight i mean morocco was brilliant um but let down slightly by the snow as an experience you know skiing in africa was great but uh but that first pitch in la rosier was brilliant it has been a good season. It's sad. It's almost over. I mean, my highlight was hoping to be the Valley Blanche, but I've unable to ever get to it the last few weeks because, you know, I have a busy life and obviously snow conditions and safety is paramount. Uh, and those are the things that um, have tripped me up. So I'm going to say my season highlight was going guiding with Yvonne because, you know, I'd spent a lot of time building up to it to get better at skiing. So I felt I could do it. And I was staring at the mountains, looking at these routes that I'd like to have gone and done. And then finally to go and do them was a great experience. So I'm going to say that was my season highlight. Cool. Although maybe it was just on Sunday, Dave from Snowpo's Ski School, I was out skiing with him. Uh, and he said that I have improved quite a lot. So maybe that was my highlight. Can't decide. Oh, I like that. I mean, to uh, to get the approbation of uh, the Dave Burrows is, um, is very impressive. Um, I'm pretty so, hard well, to say that to anyone. Are you going to have to change your um, Instagram uh, tag? That's a slightly above average skier. <laughs> yeah. I'll put references in the show notes. I'll mention all uh, where people can listen to the different episodes about your lessons with Dave and the guiding you did with Ivan and all the other bits and pieces. Wonderful. Um, another question for you, Ian, here. How long should someone wait or you should wait on the slopes 
before you go, oh, they've clearly gone the wrong way. I'm going to carry <laughs> on skiing on my own. What do you think is an appropriate time? Um, it's different now that we've got mobile phones because you can actually ring people and find out where they are. I mean, back in the day, he obviously had to make that decision a bit more clearly. I think depends on the level of the skier. Maybe three, four minutes? Or is yeah, that sounds about fair. Yeah, I mean, if you've just got... Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? But um, I was skiing with a group of people. I didn't have anyone's phone numbers, and that's why uh-huh. the question has sprung up in my mind. And, you know, I, I gave it about three or four minutes and then went, oh, crack on. Yeah, and then think... inevitably they're at the chairlift down there and oh. they've just gone past or something like that. Good stuff. So I've been skiing quite a lot. You were in Lehman Weir. Um, it's spring, and I'm going to say, Ian, the conditions are pretty good considering the February we had. Yeah, I mean, you know, one, I think one or two days of snow in February, one or two days of, uh, of snow in March. I was amazed how much snow there was still out there um, when we went in, I guess it was mid-April. Uh, I was in Lehman, we skied over to, you know, Meribel, obviously Val Terenza as well. And, you know, above 2,000 metres, you know, excellent snow. It was really good. I mean, it was hugely churny uh, lower down, particularly in the afternoons and uh, on the south-facing slopes, not very much. But um, how have you found the snow? Uh, over in the port to say it was um, really hard and then Rick really quickly went churned. It's quite a low area. I think in Avoreas, um it looked a bit better, but I didn't actually go up there. Uh, in the Clouser, right down low, it's not um, great, but the coverage compared to Easter's past... Um, is back into resort still, which is pretty good considering it's just over a thousand meters. Um, and then obviously down in La Balm, um, the highest part, the skiing is still actually really, really good. The snow feels fresh um, for a good time, but you know the afternoons are turning a bit slushy. Over in um, uh, Ledes Out, where I was, I mean, I can't. It felt much of the time like I was skiing in mid in mid February. Um, you know, early March, it was really, really good condition. Some of the best spring skiing I've ever done. Right. And then the same again over in um, other parts of Switzerland. I was in Grimentz, which is near Verbier. Once again, a really incredible conditions, great snow coverage. Um, and, you know, it's it's been a very good spring. So, Yeah, well, well uh, you've, you've been doing well, haven't you? Ticking a lot of resorts off your uh, list. I have, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've done quite a lot. Um, I've got here on um, our notes for the show, Ian, you wanted to mention the Col de Loz. Oh, yeah, the, the, yeah, the Col de Loz is, uh, is the ridge. Some people who, who know the Three Valleys well will know it. It's uh, between Maribel and Courcheval, uh, or Courcheval and Maribel, depending how you want to look at it. Um, What's the skiing like low, at the moment? Lower ridge near to Latania. Well, it's not actually the skiing, or is the, the reason I wrote it on there. It's because um, they've built a tarmac road up from Courcheval to the Col de la Loz. And oh, we have fact, mentioned we might, this before, haven't we? I was going to say, we, we might have mentioned it before because Alex Irwin walked up there uh, in the summer. That's Alex from 150 Days of Winter. You can find. He won't be walking up there now, though, will he? <laughs> Not at the moment. I think he's broken his, broken his leg, hasn't he? But it goes up to 2,304 metres. And what's unusual about it is that uh, it's not going to be open to cars. It's only open for cyclists. And uh, you know, starting this summer, they're going to be time. You know, cyclists can go up there. Um, they'll also be able to. So last autumn, they completed the tarmac road on the Courcheval side. They're going to complete the tarmac road on the Mirabel side, and you'll be able to ski, uh, ski, cycle a loop from Courcheval round down into Mirabel back through Latania, um, which. I think will be uh, unique in terms of having a you know accessible cycling road uh, in the Alps, and it's two thousand three hundred meters or two three oh four at the top, so it's pretty high. And I went to an event um, a little while ago, a press event where there was someone from Courcheval there, and I didn't realise that they are planning to extend this road, um, so that you'll be able to cycle from Courcheval up to the Col de la Loz, down into Maribel. You cycle on the existing road up to Monterey, and then from Monterey you'll be able to cycle to the, I think it's the Col de la Chambre, which is the uh, ridge between um, Meribel and then Lehman Weir. Cycle down to Lehman Weir on another new tarmac road, 
and then cycle up to Valterrens. So you'll be able to cycle a whole of the three valleys on um, primarily roads that are just reserved for cyclists, which is which is pretty amazing, I think. An alpine cycle path. Yeah, and the Tour de France is coming to uh, to well the Alps. There's a stage finishing in uh, Teen and a stage finishing in Valterrens uh, this summer. Uh, and the Etape uh, de Tour is also uh, running from um, Albeville and finishing in, in Val Terenz. And I took my bike over to Lehman Weir um, when we were over there and I cycled up from Lehman Weir to Val Terenz. And, uh, you know, so I did a tiny fraction of what they'll be doing in the Tour in the Etape. And, you know, it's pretty hard work cycling at that altitude. So finishing VT is going to be um, 2000, it's just past the centre of resort. So 2,356 metres, that's almost as high as you can get on a, on a road in the Alps. And if you go on to itv.com forward slash cycling, you can see Ian's route up there. There were thousands of people lining the roads, <laughs> cheering him on, writing, go, go, Ian Martin. Did, uh, you, got the, you got the yellow jersey, didn't you, as well? Yeah, I did get the yellow jersey, yeah, because it was me and no one else. You and no one else. Let's yeah. stay in the Three Valleys. Um, Ian, while you were there, it was Yoga Week. Yes, Yoga Week in Lehman Lots of different uh, events, different pilates and uh, dynamic yoga and uh, what i did which uh, i think is called qi kong there seem to be lots of different uh, translations uh, of it it was more a tai chi uh, type of exercise but it was good have you have you tried out yoga i think you sounded surprised in our last episode when uh, i told you that i'm a regular practitioner um i've only done it once it was a long time ago and it's something that i genuinely feel i want to get into because i want to in- in improve my flexibility and core balance and strength but i've just never got around to it but i think i'm gonna do it in the next few weeks yeah well most um, of those most of those sessions were free in uh, in layman Weir, and um, i did a quick uh, chat with uh, uh pippa mandy which um, i think you've got the audio there you're going to run so we've just done a bit of a uh, yoga on yoga week here in layman Weir, and um i've got mandy and pip with me what do you think that that yoga session benefited you after a hard day skiing? Um, most certainly. Yeah, definitely. I went in feeling very tired and I came out where I should have felt more tired, feeling much more invigorated. What about you, Mandy? How are you feeling? Are you feeling relaxed? I'm feeling very relaxed and much less stiff in my back than I was. And also very grateful because it was free. <laughs> well, as yeah, and they, these things are all over the place. I think we probably got in a bit late. We'll have to sign up for some more sessions, get into the dynamic yoga or the Pilates later in the week. Because um, surprisingly, uh, you know, I wanted to just stay in the apartment and have another cup of tea, but it was actually very good. So we'll be back for some more. Um, was there gin yoga? Or not? Was that an option, Ian? Gin yoga? Yep, it's very popular these days. You have a, a glass of gin and tonic <laughs> while you do yoga. Have you not seen this? Um, I may have heard of it. I'm aware that you can do sort of cannabis, cannabinoid CBD yoga, where you get patches with CBD to kind of help you zen out a little I'd bit. I'd quite be interested in craft ale yoga. That'd be quite nice. Yeah, but there wasn't any of that. But, you know, I would. I, I, I think the, the point of, uh, you know, what they were saying is that I really did not fancy going to you know, a yoga session at 4.30 after a day of skiing. But I kind of forced myself along because I've got to write an article about it and you know, I was there for yoga week. Uh, and I came out of it just feeling really invigorated and, and so much more refreshed than before I started. And you know, from that point of view, it was great. And also I think from, a, from a, a, you know, genuine mindfulness, being body aware, as well as the additional flexibility, you know, yoga can really benefit your skiing. It's interesting that it's not just good for pre-ski fitness, it's for post-ski fitness as well. Because, you know, um, would you say it was better than um, a nice long soak in a hot spa or a sauna? Yeah, probably. Yeah, well, no, definitely. De- def- a definitive answer. Definitely. I'm going for definitely. Yeah, it is. It's much more mindful than just lying in the bath and having a, a strong gin and tonic. So all these ski companies, they should rip out their saunas and put yoga rooms in instead. Yes. Well, they should. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of yoga, ski and yoga weeks that have been they added and product that's been added. Yeah, there was one. There was one here the other week as well. Um, 
so yeah they are very popular i think you could probably pick a resort and choose find a yoga week if you wanted to Um, and if you've got if you've got a yoga tip like what's the best pose for skiing probably like balances i would say i mean it all strengthens your core and your core is very important so but yeah you know balances not downward dog, none of those things, just the, anything. Yeah, it's all, all, it's it. all part of it. So I, I think you said in your in uh, our last update that you were going to go cross-country skiing. And I, did you try that? I did, yeah. Did you find it zen-like, I was wondering? Ooh, was it zen-like? Um, not this time. Oh, okay. And the reason is, because the reason we tried it, my parents were over. Um, they'd never my dad skied once and he wasn't very good at it Um, it was the first time my children do it um, as part of their PE lessons yes I remember so I thought it'd be a a good option for us all to go and try a sport at the same time and the reason it wasn't zen like is because you've got um, our children who were zooming off in front (laughs) because they were pretty good at it right with my um you know, uh, approaching retirement age parents, um, struggling to understand the, the concept of um, sl- slippery snow. Slippery snow, who would have thought it? Who would have thought? Anyway, so we booked, um, we went for classic lessons, which is um, where you go forward, um, bending your knees, uh, and you can use the grooves in the, the track, as opposed to skating, which you probably see a yes. lot more of in, in the Olympics. Um, the equipment, um, have you been, Ian, you've done it? Yeah, I've done it before, quite a few years ago now. I mean, I found it hard. Yeah, it was really tricky. The equipment is a lot different. Um, like, I picked up, and it was like, compared to holding a set of skis, it was like picking up a balsa wood twig. It was <laughs> yeah, so light. That's it. Um, the shoes are very, very comfortable, but they just clip in at the front. And for me, the hardest part, and my daughter said this before we went, the hardest part, Dad, is getting your shoes in the bindings, and she was right. Um, what I found interesting, Ian, as I was expecting like a really stuffy golf club atmosphere when I got there, right? but it wasn't. We had one of the coolest ski instructors I've ever come across. Like he was mid twenties, um, you know, seasonary, grungy, cool looking, and obviously very good at, um, cross country skiing. So it was nothing like being on a golf course. And then we were surrounded when we were there by this huge um, local schools, inter-schools competition. And there was hundreds of kids, and it wasn't like they were being forced to go there, like I remember when I did swimming galas when I was young. They were, they were really into it, and I didn't realise that also they, they built in the middle um, a cross-country ski cross course. Ah, OK, yeah, right. So there was jumps and bumps and all that sort of yeah. stuff, but on these crazy skis that you're just connected to. So it's a bit yeah. like telemarketing. I went way. I went out to um, Murren um, a couple of years ago for the Inferno. You know that? I think we had mm-hmm. we had Vanessa on it uh, before, and they have a Triple Crown event where you can enter the Inferno, which is a downhill race, the uh, GS, and then there's a cross country race, and the cross country race effectively goes. Uh, I think it's two or maybe three laps of Murren itself. And I hadn't. I got out there on the Wednesday, went straight to the hire shop, picked up my cross country skis, went up to the start, and did this race, having not done cross country for twenty years. And you know, I, I managed to find it, you know, fairly straightforward. But then there were some downhill bits. Did you do any downhill in your cross country? It's the best bit. In fact, Ian, before you go any further, here's a little clip of what it sounds like to go downhill in them grooves. It sounds like you're taking off on an aeroplane. Sorry, you carry on. That was my interruption. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, well, the downhill bits, it's just like not having that control. But then I went round a corner and they had a couple of, um, I wouldn't describe them as kickers, they had a couple of like lumps uh, in there that you had to go up and down over. And I fell over like a prat. There's a whole there's a whole crowd of people there who because they know that people are going to fall over on this section. He found it hilarious. I didn't find it so hilarious, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear that they have a, you know, a park in the middle of the cross country. 
Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, like I say, going downhill is really tricky. You, they say that you know it's just like doing a normal snow plowter. It's nothing like doing that because no. you've got you've got like a matchstick underneath your foot. It's really <laughs> tricky to slow down. But then again, I think the point is that you're not meant to slow down. You're just meant to go and carry on. Yeah, easier said than done. Um, the technique's quite simple. Did you do um, no, um, Did you do skating or were you just doing classic? I think the theory was in that race to go faster, you were meant to skate. And I did try it a bit, but you're constantly at risk of falling over, aren't you, and going smack on your face. Well, we didn't try skating because um, he said we didn't book those lessons, so we weren't allowed to try it. <laughs> but it's interesting that the skis are slightly different between skating and classic. On the, on the classic, you've got um, underneath your foot area on the ski, there's like scales, so the equivalent of like a small part of a skin if you're um, doing touring. And then they don't exist on a skating set of skis. Wow. Okay. I did. Uh, I had no idea about that. I have no idea what sort of skis I was given. <laughs> That's maybe why you fell over, Ian. You, yeah. They gave you the wrong skis. Blame the equipment. That's what it's about. <laughs> but, you know, I'm going to say everyone should have a go because it is like the it's the starting point of skiing to a certain extent. And if you're in a ski resort, a lot of them are really not very not used at all, are they? I remember when I lived in Azark, there was a ski deformed area cut into the mountain. And I think in two seasons, there's four, four people using it. For sure. And they're some of the most beautiful areas as well. You know, in well, that's um, the thing, you this... travel through um, a forest essentially. You can circuit courses, but there are actual trails that you can go, and you go into quiet bits, like the one in um, sixteen fifty in Courchevel that you get. You, I only used when I was coming off the back section um, in the. Is it the Hidden Valley or the Secret Valley? Yeah, down in a, a Lac de Rosier, that one. Yeah, yeah. That's, and you come that's out. Lovely. You come out on this cross country course. Yeah, but yeah, it's nice and peaceful. It's nice. So it, I'd imagine it is then, like without. Um, three generations. <laughs> right. Well, we'll have, we'll have that feature in the in uh, some point in the future. Let's move on. Um, Ian, you've been chatting to Frank Baldwin, skier and snowboard mag editor and owner now. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was out on a press trip with him to the French Pyrenees a few weeks ago, and I thought this is too good an opportunity to miss to uh, to interview. Uh, I guess you call him a doyen of the industry. He's certainly been involved in it more than more than most people. And he, he told me about how he got involved with Skier and Snowboarder magazine and, and how it's changed. Great. So um, I'm here now with uh, Frank Baldwin, who is the publisher of uh, Skier and Snowboarder magazine. That That's your uh, official title, right? It is, yes. Yeah. yeah. And before that, before you became the owner of the magazine, you were the editor of it as well? That's correct. Yeah, I became editor... 30 years ago, actually, next month in uh, in April, uh, but I've been I've owned it now for 28 years. Right. Okay. So you've seen a lot, you know, in terms of uh, changes, let's say, in publishing. I mean, when you first got involved in it, what were the ski magazines in the UK? Well, there, it's always I believe there were too many then because there was <laughs> uh, besides the skier and snow. Oh, actually, it was just the skier then. So it was the skier. There's another one that's just since disappeared called Ski Special. There was the Daily Mail Ski Magazine, uh, what was Ski Survey, which was the uh, Ski Club of Great Britain's magazine. There. Right. But there were a couple of others which people have probably forgotten about. One was called Ski Magazine and one was called Ski in UK. Um, but we actually more or less took on both of those titles under the skier umbrella. Okay. And all of those, so this is like the early to mid 80s or something like uh, that? Yes, is it, it was late 70s. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, mid 80s. Yeah. yeah. So when the kind of what you might term the boom in British skiing was taking place yes. and yeah. chalet companies were just starting up it, etc. And um, those magazines, were they like all sold through like WH Smith or through the They shops? were, yes. They, they, there were no free magazines in those days. They were all uh, in uh, in retail outlets. Yeah, so uh, you know, there actually used to be a ski section when you walked into WH Smith, wasn't there? There was, yes, yeah, and it was it was quite a challenge getting them into every retailer. You know, there was, uh, you know, you hoped that your circulation uh, company would manage to persuade everybody to take the magazines. Then, yeah, and a few of those magazines have fallen away along along the way. Um, but also, like I think there, there's been a shift because obviously that was all pre-internet. We've had internet. Uh, uh, you know, you can research and look at stuff, but people still want to look at magazines. But at what point did you decide when? I mean, when did it become the skier and snowboarder? 
That's an interesting Gosh, development. Uh, that, it wasn't that long after I got involved, so I just said that was about 89, 90. Right, okay, so at the end of the 80s into yeah. the 90s, that makes sense. Snowboarding was just taking off, and it, I mean, it was really uh, going, taking off in a big way, so we just wanted to make sure that we had our share of it, really. Yeah. But we were never aimed at the hardcore snowboarder. We In those days, we were aimed at the skier that wanted to have a go at snowboarding. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there are always the other magazines, uh, you know, specialists to that. But at some point, you changed your model then from being a magazine that was distributed through WH Smith and people paid for, you know, retail to a free distribution magazine. How, how, or when did that come about and how did that come about? Well, there are several reasons. One of, the, uh, one of them being that a lot of our reader research shows and from advertisers as well they're never quite sure which magazine they're in because they were all called ski something or uh, luckily we were skier so we were a bit different but very often you know we all had a skier jumping out of the front page and readers were a bit confused so we decided uh, that we'd go to a different size and to free one of the reasons being that wh smith actually started charging specialist magazines to be on their shelves and so i thought well if you're going to start doing that i'd rather we used to sell 25,000 copies in those days. So I thought, well, and to sell 25,000, you had to print 50,000. So I thought, well, I'd rather just give the 50,000 away and reach more skiers and snowboarders because there had been other free newspapers could come along and I'd seen uh, that they'd been quite successful. So I thought that we could get away with a free model. Obviously, we'd lose all the the sales revenue from the uh, retail sales, but... Um, as WH Smith were going to charge us to be on their shelves, I thought, well, uh, we might as well go for it. Yeah, well, that model, which is probably now called the freemium uh, yes, model yeah. you see in lots of different areas, you know, obviously works works very well and it's, it's worked for you because how, how long ago was that then that uh, the magazine became uh, free? You know, I can't remember the exact date, but I think it was 20 years ago. Yeah, okay, so a long time ago. Yeah. And, you know, right now, I think, I mean, I went into my local WH Smith to look, to see what ski magazines were on the shelf, and I couldn't find any in there. Although I thought maybe I might find the the kind of Telegraph ski and snowboard magazine on there, but I think they're maybe the only one, possibly full line, that still gets sold, you know, through retail. I believe there's one more called Snow, which still gets oh, sold. Oh, Snow to. magazine. They yeah. only have one issue yeah, one every issue, yeah. every winter. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's fewer around magazines than there were before. There's been consolidation, but equally there's there's still a place for it because I think um, from my point of view, the the right magazine where it has a feature they actually get to sit down and read you consume things in a different way from the way you consume things on the internet it's even though i'd like to think oh i read things properly on the internet i know i'm like everyone else you know you don't whereas if you can sit down with a magazine i think probably that's why they're still around with what do you think they are we've we've actually discovered people actually like reading about skiing when they're actually doing it so if they go into a, a hotel or one a bar in the alps or even a hire shop which we now go to uh, quite a few, um, we find that people are picking them up and like to read about it when they're, when they're actually out on the slopes, which not, I don't think any of us realised before, but that's been quite a, uh, an eye-opener for us. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, certainly if you're waiting for your, your boots to be fitted or something yeah. like that, then that, then that could uh, be a good one. And where, so how do you distribute the magazine? Where do you send it to? Well, in the UK, we tend to go to uh, uh, ski shops, uh, ski stores and uh, artificial slopes. Right. Uh, we we always try and do a deal with somebody to uh, to get a, uh, a lot of magazines out there. You know, we've done it with some uh, out to the Alps. You know. uh, no, this is in the UK. Oh, we've right. done it with uh, travel agent groups um, where anybody comes in books a ski holiday gets given a copy of the magazine. Yeah. I shouldn't be giving away all my secrets. <laughs> but uh, yeah. uh, and but things like that, and obviously shows uh, we yeah. try and get it out to. Not so much the London show. Uh, anymore, um, but we do get it to the little regional shows, you know, the ones people that still hold them. Yeah, but there's not that many about anymore. Yeah, but it, when there used to be, that was another good way of us getting the magazine. Yeah, so the magazine's been going then since the early '80s in in total. Then it has, I believe, it was first came out around 1982. But I've also got a copy uh, of an A5 magazine called The Skier. Oh yeah, in, uh, but. I'm not even sure who produced it, but it, okay. but it went back to the, the 60s. Right. So, oh, I'd love to see that, actually. Yeah. Maybe we could feature that in another one. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant, Frank. I found that very interesting. I think a lot of the listeners will, too. So thank you very much for your time. 
and uh, good luck with the next issue. What I noticed in that interview, Ian, that he never mentioned Tribe magazine. <laughs> as, a, as a threat, is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> that was a magazine that uh, we did at Natives, um, you know, a while back. But, but, you know, that's when the free, uh, I mean, the freemium model, let's say, was already in place by then. We were just, um, you know, uh, adding another one to the market. Um, personally, do you subscribe to any magazines? Subscribe? You mean pay money? <laughs> do you pay for it? Do you actually pay money for any magazines, Ian? No, I mean magazines. Uh, I used to, you know, get a triathlon magazine and Empire magazine, but that was probably fifteen years ago now. Uh, so no, I don't get any magazines uh, now. Although I tend to read all the ski ones. Oh, you get given them free, right? I do get some through in the post. Yes, handy that. And are they worth reading though? Do you feel that the journalism is better than, say, Googling the answer to your question and getting a, a blog written by some lackey? Yeah, I would say that there are some magazines that are distinctly better than others. What, what um, I'm re- reluctant to mention exactly what they are, but the one, you know, there are too many um, magazines rely on... Well, they don't have journalism in them. They don't have proper features and proper articles. They just have, you know, editorial that has been paid for by the resorts. And it just doesn't really, you know, add up to much. Um, You know, Snow Magazine that Frank mentioned comes out only once a year. And that has a lot of really good features in it. Well, they've Um, got the time to do that, really, haven't they? If it's coming out once a year. Well, there you go. Good, good, good point. But as as a journalist who occasionally writes features, I'm obviously in favour of uh, ski magazines having more features. Um, in your personal opinion, what is the best ski magazine out there? Depends what you're looking for, I guess. <laughs> Diplomatic. Um, yeah, there you go. Depends what you're looking for. <laughs> All right then. Um, what I'm looking for now, Ian, is some reviews. Um, oh. Has anyone called us dull and boring this week? No. Um, I mean, I'm quite pleased uh, to hear about that. We haven't had any new reviews on iTunes, and uh, you know, I would. Well, we, we've had a few star ratings. Um, you know, star ratings are very good. But if anyone wants to actually write a little review on on iTunes on there, it is good because it helps other people find us. Quite frankly, and uh, you know, the more listeners we have, uh, the better. But we've had a few comments. Snowheads is a uh, a forum that I look at, you know, quite a regular basis, and someone using their um, kind of usernames, Joy Zipper says, I listen regularly and enjoy the podcast, and uh, Michael Berry, who you might remember, he made a, uh, sent us quite a, a good email quite a long time ago, he says that you and David the Marmot should meet up for a slide and a beer. That would be nice. And it, I think David the Marmots has even suggested it could be possible. Oh, really? Has he actually got a real name? Do I need to go on the Snowheads forum? Is that what is Possibly. This? I thought I sent you an email about it, but he's going to be in Valterens maybe this week. Is he? Ooh. Right. Yeah. So uh, there you go. You can, I'm, going to get uh, on, uh, I'm going to get on Snowheads right now and um, send him a message. I've got, yeah. I've got an old name. There we go. There you go. And Ski Weekend, they actually said um, some great uh, insight. Love these podcasts uh, on Twitter. Have you come across any others? Reviews? Um, I haven't seen any. Um, Everyone who listens to you, I speak to personally, say they really like it. Yeah, they're always going to say that to your face, aren't they? Uh, Yeah, they will do. (laughs) But send Um, us. I've been been sticking a lot of stickers around, so maybe we'll get. Have you? Yes, I put a few around in strategic places. In the Three Valleys as well, although if anyone from the Three Valleys sees them, it wasn't me, it was someone else. Definitely not Ian, it was someone else. Um, One of the places I stuck a sticker, um, or I saw a sticker that someone had stuck there, um, was in Lidders Up that we talked about earlier. Um, And I've been there on a trip, it was very good. Um, First of all, Ian, here's some basic Lidders Up facts. Um, the village is 1,280 metres and it's the top peak is 3,560 metres. The majority of the ski area is over the magical 800 metres. There is one glacier um, and that is open from the 1st of December. So all the way to the end of the season, which would be at the end of April. And they do June and August skiing on that glacier as well. It's a pretty cool glacier. I was really impressed and I think I might go there in the summer. Um, there's 50 lifts uh, it includes one funicular and i was very happy ian to tick off a new funicular 
on my funicular nerd ticking of course, list. I've forgotten so about for the funicular thing, yeah. So I was pretty excited when I discovered there was a funicular there. Um, other boring stuff that's really important as well. It's only an hour and a half from um, Grenoble, where regular flights from London, Manchester, Edinburgh and Bristol. But what is cool about it is next to Alpe d'Huez, and it's even closer to the mystical Le Grave, which you can, which I want to do, I want to go back and do this, you can access Le Grave via the back of the glacier. It's not officially linked, and I don't think they share a lift pass or anything, but that's pretty cool. Um, Ian, have you been, and what do you think of the skiing? Yeah, I've been to Desalp quite a few times. It's an unusual resort in terms of the fact that the easier skiing is higher up, uh, mm. and the more challenging skiing is, is lower down. I think probably since you've been, they have put in um, yeah. a big wiggly green run back into resort. Um, yeah. A, I didn't do, and B, I'd imagine was really, really slushy. No, I mean, so. they, it, it was a big deal to uh, to put that run in. And uh, I don't know if you recall this, but it actually caused uh, some flooding in the uh, first summer after they dug it into the mountain because they did so much deforestation putting it in place that when they had a really heavy rainfall, as you get these days, the water just came straight down the side of the mountain and uh, arrived in the bottom of the resort, causing flooding. That aside, I'm sure it was very uh, beneficial. And I've, you know, I've enjoyed it. Um, and I've been there, I skied there in the summer as well. Uh, and it's got actually quite a good range for a, for a glacier compared with summer, well, for example, team that I've also skied on. Um, there's some more interesting uh, terrain. One of the few places far, as well. How far extra is the skiing in the summer? So obviously the T-bar, all those T-bars are open in the summer. What else is there? Yeah, I can't, I couldn't tell you about all the lifts. All I remember is rather than just the big kind of flat bit of the glacier. But one thing that they do have there is they've actually stuck up snow cannons on the glacier because it's that important to them because they get huge numbers of Italians coming over in the summer to uh, race train there. And, you know, if you do go in the summer, you've got to make sure... Uh, that you get up early because the queue for the lift is uh, is huge in the morning. Um, Interestingly, I was also talking to um, one of the locals who lived there, and he said in the summer that the the season pass for the glacier is really expensive. That you know a lot of um, workers refuse to buy it, and a lot of the time they they skin up at uh, they walk up in the morning um, and do the park before anyone else gets up there, and then head back down. Well, yeah, it makes it makes sense. But I think you know there used to be a lot more glaciers open, and uh, and now there aren't. That's the reason it's uh, it's so busy up there. Um, so yeah, and and La Grave, I've skied there a bunch of times as well, and you know it's an amazing place. Um, I mean, I think my summary of the ski area is it's big, wide, immaculately looked after. Um, it looks like there's plenty of accessible off piste, but. Let's not just listen to me. I met up with um, Alex, who's the ski coach director from Tip Top Ski Coaching. Uh, she's lived there for five years, um, so is uh, a permanent Leslie's Out resident, and this is her opinion on the ski area. I think that the pieces are very well looked after here. Uh, the grooming is good, which you don't see in every resort. We don't find great big ledges in the middle of our with the middle of our piece. They leave the, the some of the black ones um, to bump up to be moguls, so we've got a really good variety of terrain. Um, and the resort's actually moving with the time, so um, they are now putting DVA transceiver checkpoints uh, before the big itineraries um, and marking off, showing people where they are so that they're, they're embracing the fact that people want to ski off piste. Um, and then also we've got uh, the mythical Le Grave, uh over the back here. Um, we can access it on foot uh, fairly easily, or it's only a 20-minute drive around to Le Grave. Um, and you don't get that anywhere else. A, a day in the world is just a dream. <laughs> it's uh, my favourite place in the world. Um, what do you think about the town, Ian? I quite liked it. It was very teen-esque, um, would be my comparison, apart from the fact it's in a long strip. Yeah. Uh, it's got that grungy, sort of season air, apartment block vibe to it. Yeah, it's not the most attractive uh, resort. That's That's... For sure, but the fact that it's flat is advantageous. It's quite easy to kind of get around the place. Yep, uh, I like the fact they've also got they've tried to get their own folly deuce. It's called uh, Pano Bar, which is on the middle of the slopes, which was pretty cool. Yeah, don't remember so, that one. Been a few years. No, since I think it, I think it might be new. And there were DJs and young people dancing. Um, some of them with their tops off. It was yeah, very... I mean, you get a lot of young people. I went there for uh, for Busk, the British University Ski Championships, a few times when we used to sponsor it. 
uh, uh, natives and uh, yeah, they didn't have any problem having a good time there. <laughs> Absolutely. And so the ski pass price for that is £230 a week and if you were doing a whole season it's €685. Euros. I think €230 is pretty good value these days. Um, if you are on the odd chance thinking of moving to the Alps and Leda's Alps sounds cool then it could be um, a good place for you. So we are supporters of the podcast Snow Oni to give us some property ideas of what is there. Mark, what have you got for us? Hey Jim, uh, Mark here. Just some update on the property side from your featured resort this week. Um, some really exciting new developments in Leders Alp. Um, anything from two, three, four bedroom um, off-plan properties with swimming pools, saunas. Um, some really, really exciting new developments. Obviously invested in a, res- uh, in a resort that has some really strong plans for the next five years. Um, combining with Alp Duez, as I'm sure you've mentioned. Um, some of the developments here have uh, options to do nine-year rental management uh, that exclude 20% VAT so something that's really really popular with overseas buyers Um, really exciting time to be going to this resort and looking for some investment opportunities all obviously to be found on our website there you go so if you are considering buying or selling a property then snow only is the only place for you Um, an impartial platform dedicated to snow uh, properties with over 3500 properties on their website if you can't find what you're looking for then sign up and get some property alerts and be informed when it's available that's snowonly.com and their tagline ian is mountains of property um got a better one for that a better tagline than that yeah no i think that's very good that's very good. Um, I could have done the Valley Blanche when I was there. They've got an area called the Valley Blanche, haven't they, in uh, Leders Alp? If you say so. But that was that was that was also closed. So uh, I've not done very well. Okay, it'll happen. It will happen one day. Uh, so the Ski Book Group Club is back, Ian. Yes. Um, this time we've been reading a book called The Alps by Stephen O'Shea. Yeah. Ian, Ian, what is the book about? Well, the strapline is, or the subtitle, I guess you might call it, A Human History from Hannibal to Heidi and Beyond. And uh, this guy, who's an American journalist, basically drives across the Alps, sort of starting in the west and ending a long way to the east. And it was on your... Did you get it for Christmas, did you? Um, I was... Uh, it was came up in my um, Amazon recommendations. Did it? Okay. And well, I like the you fact know, it was it was only published in nineteen ninety um, twenty seventeen, so it's quite a recent book. Yeah, and um, I mean, you uh, obviously recommend it, and I'm I'm glad I read it, and I found it interesting. The guy is obviously you know he's written a bunch of books about um, you know war books and things like that, and there's quite a lot of war in it. I noticed, you know, I mean maybe that's just the history of the Alps, but I. As it went on, I developed a real dislike of the author. <laughs> Did you not feel that? Um, I found that um, his obsession with sneaking in war references and literary references um, slightly tedious. I mean, I wouldn't say he was uh, my favourite person to enjoy a journey with. Yeah, I mean, he, he going on about his car and how everyone was looking at his car the whole time. You know, made me think he's got a monstrous ego, and it looks like from the picture on the back he probably has a ponytail, which is, <laughs> you know, a bit of a giveaway. And he's so—I wouldn't necessarily describe it as racist, but his his national stereotyping I found really annoying. You know, the way he calls any group of Belgian people a, a waffle of Belgians or a bratwurst of Germans, or and. He goes on about, you know, Dutch campers, you know, driving really slowly. And it wasn't funny, I didn't think. I've never seen a Dutch camper in the Alps. Uh, you need to go more in summer. You'll see them this summer. But, you know, they're not just... The point is, they're not just Dutch. There's lots of people who drive, you know, camper vans and motorhomes and they're not just Dutch. And, you know, I, that I didn't like. But on the, on the positives, it is packed full of facts. And you said, uh, before we started we'd pick out our favourite facts. And I wondered what yours was. Uh, my facts is um, remarkably early on, and I've got it here, um, he was talking about uh, Morzine. Right. And um, how in the 19th century, um, when hysteria was ripe across across the world, um, there was a, a group of randy-blessed virgins. 
Do you remember this bit? No. Um, I'll, well, read, well, I'll read a part of it. It says, there, The then remote village of Morzine became something of a tourist attraction. Uh, the spectacle of young women pleasuring themselves on altars and in chapels, apparently a sight not to be missed. Right. And on one occasion, a bishop invited in to calm the flocks was surrounded by more than 50 hysterics doing their obscene best to let him know that he was not welcome. Where do you get this information from? Yeah, I, I don't know if that's on uh, Wikipedia or not. I mean, he... he um, OK, so I'm going to throw in my most interesting thing. Who knew that Samaritz in Switzerland and Borg Samaritz had so much in common? Did you know, I know as a result of this book, that they're both named after the famous saint, Saint Maurice, and the French version, Borg Samaritz, is Samaritz and Samaritz is Samaritz as well, and so Samaritz and uh, Borg Samaritz really should be twin towns. I found that fascinating. Um, the, yeah, the more, in fact, the more that you drive around the Alps and the more you spend time in it, you notice there are quite a lot of um, Saint Maurice places. Um, okay, even, I can't even more off of the them. top of my head. Yeah, there's more than those two. Yeah, and, and um, you know, uh, I need to, I'm going to find I, out a bit more about Saint Maurice. I think maybe. Yeah, I did. It, I did enjoy it. You know, across the board, because it's set in you know the area that I love, the uh, the Alps, and but I found you know he kept going on. Oh my God, it's a hairpin bend! Oh, isn't it? Isn't it awful? I have to drive around a corner again. And oh, well, I think I'm, his, I'm quite his experience high. of the travel was unnecessary. The, the the content of the facts and the information was good, and in that way that you get that slight bit of excitement when you know that your local village is going to be on the <laughs> the local news and you tune in to watch it. Yes. It's got that sort of you know that bit's good about it, but him as a companion, um, yeah, not so good. Yeah, yeah, but you know, so therefore, um, if anyone you know wants to read and they. Yeah, I'd, I'd, if you like the mountains, I'd, I'd recommend it. It'll give you a, a different perspective if you can you know, get past uh, past him. And plus, he, you know, there's a few things in there which I felt, well, one, football, nothing to do with skiing, but he did say he was watching the opening match of the World Cup and it involved Spain, and that's clearly not correct because you know, um, it wasn't held in Spain and the host always do the first match. And he also said that Alduez was south of Valdezere, uh, no, west of Valdezere, and I thought, how can Outdoors be be west of Alderzan? I had a look, and it kind of is to the west, but it's a long way south as well. So, like Meribel is to the west of Alderzan. So anyway, but you, yeah, those really, are just so really, like I was looking out for things because he was just irritating me so much. Maybe, yeah, it really annoyed me that football thing as well. God, was so cross. <laughs> I nearly closed the book at that point. It was quite early on that. Um, <laughs> Okay, so in summary, it's all right. Um, Team GB news. Ian, if this, I, I guess this is going to be the final Team GB update of the winter. Hey, probably, yeah. Uh, there are things that go on, uh, you know, through the summer. But um, this is uh, late news. It's five years old. Um, but the Team GB's uh, four-man bobsleigh team have won a bronze medal. Woohoo! Yeah, woohoo! Because um, amazingly, there were two Russian sleds. They finished fifth. But there were two Russian sleds. I don't even remember that you could uh, one country could enter more than one uh, sled. But they both got disqualified because you know Russia's. Uh, it was in Sochi. They've been held into this race, and and so Team GB went up to third, and uh, that means that Britain actually won five medals at the uh, Sochi Games, which um, which is great. Well done, us. Yeah, they miss out on the medal ceremony. Well done, us. Um, I also found it fascinating that um, the Brits were held in Lax uh, last month, or maybe earlier this month. And Billy Morgan, who is a medalist in big air in snowboarding uh, from the Olympics in Pyeongchang, entered the snowboard cross and won it. Oh, I think cool. um, if you're in the snowboard cross, even if you're a pretty good snowboarder, I don't know that everyone necessarily turns up, but Billy Morgan turned up. And also... Um, Ed Lee, presenter of uh, Ski Sunday, entered the snowboard cross as well and won, oh no, did he come second in the veterans uh, category? His wife also took part in the snowboard cross. And Leslie McKenna, who's coach of the uh, the women's snowboarders, 
uh, won the female veterans uh, in the snowball cross as well. And there are also a bunch of in the in the big air competitions. There are a few uh, categories where parents and their kids were taking part as well. So it makes me think that the atmosphere at the Brits was great. You know what I mean? Like all of these yeah. people, you know, not taking themselves too seriously, but still wanting to compete and just enjoying themselves. And uh, yeah, I'll put a link to uh, to it in the show notes. But um, do you think yeah. this means I could enter next year? Of course, you could. I've thought about. Uh, I mean, hold on. This is snowboarding, though, right? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Right. Okay. Well, there you go. Oh, I one other do team. better at snowboarding. Um, or snowboard cross. Yeah. One other team GB thing. Kirsty Muir, who we've mentioned uh, uh, before, she won a silver. Kirsty the wall. Kirsty, yeah, very good. Won silver at the Junior <laughs> World uh, Championships. So she's one to watch, uh, kind of in the future. But yeah, not too much uh, team GB. I anticipate coming up over the summer. That's it. So well done to all of our athletes this season. Um. Yeah, nothing to watch out for apart from your rise up the snowboarding rankings, really. That's right. I'm I'm, I'm going to be big in the snowboarding world soon. <laughs> um, well, I think that's kind of uh, the, the end of this show. I've had a lovely season, and we're, but we're not stopping because it's the winter, are we? The they, we're not stopping. It's the winter. Summer it's the summer. <laughs> we're not stopping. No matter the season, we plough on. Yeah, we we'll hopefully we'll have about. that feature in our next episode on the Valley Blanche by you. I also tried out that triple zip wire in Valterens, which uh, we'll be covering in the next episode as well. Um, I'm heading to someone uh, this weekend, and I'm going to have my first club med experience. Oh, are That's you? Exciting. Nice. Yes. I've been thinking about uh, maybe going there next season. I'll be very interested well, to hear what you think about it. I'll tell you all about it. Um, also got a chat with some ski instructors about whether you should teach yourself to ski, which was a very ah. interesting chat. Yeah, because that was prompted by the email we had in the last episode, I think. Yep, Lee. I hope I think, I hope his name's Lee, because that's what I said all the way through the interview. Right, well, regardless, <laughs> Lee, Lee also... Me? He also asked about skiing at half term, and I've got an interview lined up in a couple of weeks' time about that. So essentially, got lots of content coming up, but we might only be recording, I think, every three weeks through the summer. Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm going to, I'm going to, I've decided, Ian, that my challenge for the summer is to ski, ski on every glacier that's open. Really? Yeah. Let's see, you've got to There's get over five, to there's Austria. Only, there's only five of them. Yeah, that'd be a good trip, wouldn't it? Right. Are there only five of them? Well, we'll list them next time. Or we'll, I tell you what, we'll let listeners think about what five they are and we'll reveal the answer in the next episode. Or more accurately, Ian, we'll let listeners go, well, there's more than five, Jim. Um, <laughs> you know nothing. Um, this is actually correct. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think that might be the case, but we'll see in, in episode right. 35 in uh, another three weeks' time. Magic. Right, I'm going to go and see if I can uh, go skiing with uh, Marmot Dave. Alright, good. See ya. Bye.